Welcome back to the Troop Leader Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and this is another Ask Me Anything episode. So my friend Kate asked in our Facebook group, which you can get to at facebook.com slash groups slash Girl Scout Podcast, but Kate asked about service team roles. Does each council actually appoint, reappoint, or not reappoint, or are they just happy if a job is filled? Um... I'm going to answer this based on my interpretation of what it is you're asking and then like kind of just elaborating on that. But I do think that um, it's it's good to just say straight off the bat, like <laughs> every area is probably different, even within the same council. <laughs> every service unit is probably a little bit different depending on what the council practices are, what the history is in that service unit, and also the opinion of the staff person who's responsible for membership recruitment and engagement, because they're all going to have their own opinions and um, investment in this as well. And I'm kind of laughing because I'm thinking about my own council, which is also Kate's council because we're friends. And I I know both from being a volunteer and from 10 years ago working in council, which of course a lot has changed and a lot of these people have changed, um, that <laughs> there are membership engagement slash recruitment specialists for the service units even in our own council who probably have different perspectives on this and a different level of investment. Generally speaking, I would bet that there are some newer uh, staff members who would be grateful for volunteers to help guide them on who should be doing what job and making sure those jobs are filled. I also think that there are some long-term staff members who would feel very possessive over appointing. Um, I think also, oh man, there's just a lot of layers here. As far as like reappointment versus not reappointment, um, some of those staff members may at times be really eager to uh, remove a person from a position that they find difficult to work with uh, or they they aren't necessarily doing something wrong enough that like there's a reason they are they're not you know they're not making girls or adults unsafe or violating any rules or laws or something but they're just kind of difficult um, or they don't work well together. And so that staff member may be very passionate about um, trying to put somebody else in that position. And um, that's hard. <laughs> so my initial my initial gut reaction to this is to say that, you should find out who your membership area staff person is. So somebody who's in charge of like membership engagement and recruitment in your service unit. It's a staff member, not a volunteer. There's somebody from staff who like is appointed probably to multiple service units, multiple geographic areas, um, including yours. And to ask them how those roles are filled 
you may also <laughs> ask the service unit manager and you might get different answers from both of them. But that's going to give you a lot more insight to talk to both of those people and get their perspective on what the situation is. I think also what the history in that area is. Um, generally speaking, I think that if somebody really wants a role, like if you're if you don't have a role in your service team, but you're interested in stepping up to help coordinate things in your area for leaders, for supporting leaders and girls and like membership engagement and recruitment in your service unit. If you're interested in getting involved at like a leader of leaders level, <laughs> then um, I think generally speaking, you could pretty much make your desires known to be involved and they'll find a place for you if there's a specific role you want you can probably pretty much have it unless there's another person who also actively really wants it, in which case it gets a little bit stickier and murkier as far as like who's going to do it. Um, I do know there were some service units in my council back in the day who held elections. I don't know if anyone still really does that. Um, we also didn't used to have really defined roles. Um, there were some roles that were defined, but uh, like that every service unit had. And then there were roles that the service units just kind of made up for their own group. Um, Council slash GSUSA has now streamlined that a lot more. There's specific roles and there are descriptions for those roles. And we're trying to like get more um, consistent, which You'll notice councils slash GSUSA, that's like a big movement across all the things. Like we've talked on this podcast about the gold award being streamlined and consistent across councils. We've talked about silver award, um, the recruitment process, the registration process, financial management, training. Our training platform has become more consistent across councils. So service team jobs, that's also getting more consistent. So this may grow and evolve <laughs> as well um, in in building more of a robust situation here. But I think generally speaking, if you want to be involved, you pretty much can be unless there's a reason why um, you have been removed from that position or if there's something in your background check or something like that that would prevent you from like handling money or something. Um, so <laughs> I do think for the most part, Kate, that staff, the staff is just happy if jobs are filled um, and not just filled, but like they're being done like that job is filled. And also the like expectations of the requirements of that position are being completed. I think that um, that if that's just working, <laughs> then the staff generally is happy for that. It gets sticky when the staff does not get along with somebody or if things are not getting done or if um, there's a lot of drama or tension on the team. Like there's major players who are not getting along with each other, not necessarily not getting along with a staff member, but definitely what I've been reiterating is if they don't get along with the staff member. Those would all be reasons why the staff member might be invested in appointing or removing someone from one of those roles. I also think that um, <laughs> if you have a really good relationship with a staff member, they will 
encourage, strongly encourage that you not just take a spot on the service team, but especially that you replace someone that they would like to replace on the service team. I personally have been the um the person who's been tapped <laughs> like hey how do you feel about replacing this person and i'm like listen you are not about to drag me into some drama i know that you're asking because you don't want that person to do that job anymore and i'm not about to like enter the lion's den for you no if that person steps down then let's talk but if that person thinks that role is theirs yeah girl i'm not i'm not entering that drama so um with all that being said, I think there's a lot of layers to this, and I think reasons why someone might not get reappointed would be or might be removed from their position might include if you don't get along with the staff person, if you don't get along with the other people on the service team, or if the expectations or requirements of the position are not being met. So there should be at this point like a job description, basically an agreement that you acknowledge or sign that lays out exactly what that role is supposed to accomplish. And if you don't do it, then there are higher chances that um, staff might step in to prevent you from continuing to hold that role in the future. Um, with that being said, if you're not in that role, but you're seeing somebody in a role who is not satisfying what that role should be accomplishing and you're frustrated, uh, that doesn't mean that the staff member is going to do anything about it because they may not be personally invested. Um, mm it's hard so on kate's question some people commented um stacy said i have a feeling a lot of areas are different and ying said in her area only the service unit manager or co-managers need to be appointed and other than that they build their own teams and i think that's interesting because i i think <laughs> appointment is even funny um because i think that if there was a vacancy if somebody is the service unit manager or co-managers and they decided that they were done um the staff member who oversees that area oversees is like a weird way but who coordinates with that area might know who they want to ask and they might not in which case they might just stand in front of the room and say like who wants it <laughs> who wants to do it who's interested and if multiple people are interested in it then they're probably gonna like talk to you about it and and talk to the different people who are interested and kind of make a decision um about who's the best fit but i think they're gonna try to go the most agreeable route and just let somebody like volunteer for it and that is what they're calling appointment if possible. <laughs> um, what's interesting about that, and I'm curious in Ying's area, like if if somebody is the service unit manager and that that role needs to be appointed by council in her area, I'm curious if that also means I wonder how common it is for council staff to not reappoint the same person year over year to decide you're done. In my council, most of the time, I feel service unit managers, generally speaking, do it for years. Like they do it for years. And then when they step down, somebody else steps in and they do it for years. So 
Um, that's just kind of like my perception here, but I'm curious, like in other areas, if that's also the case. Anyway, um, so yeah, so I think, um, I think this is just really going to vary and there's a lot of reasons why it might vary. I would definitely be interested to dig into what the different positions are in service teams and what's expected of those roles. I'll have to get more information about that because I have to see what's different across the board, but I would be interested in digging into that. I think um, a big thing here is just emphasizing that if you're going to take on a role like that, that you know what the expectations are. And also, you're going to have to play a little bit of a political game. It is important that you get along with the other people on your service team, and it is important that you get along with that um, membership coordinator slash recruiter slash engagement manager in your area. And not everybody is going to want to do that. And I totally understand, but that is going to be important, especially the more, more substantial of a role it is. Like if you're going to be service unit manager, all the more important. If you're like somebody a little more low key, then it might not be necessary. I had a role in my service team for a while where I took meeting notes at the leader meetings. And um, I mean, I don't really have to play a lot of politics for that. I just had to take notes and then turn them in, you know? So um, that was a pretty low key, low key role. I think though, you know, like I said, there's, there's definitely some roles that are a lot more visible that playing the politics is going to matter. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I hope that this was helpful. I This is a little bit of a shorter episode if I were to end it here. So let's take a look and see what other questions there are that I can answer. Okay, Ying asked how to balance parent support with leadership team. Sometimes the troop are run by one leader. The rest are supporting roles. Sometimes it's leaders at every level supported by floater. There's so many ways to run Girl Scouts. Totally agree. So many ways to do it and no way is wrong as long as you meet the adult to girl ratio. So there is an adult to girl ratio that you need to know and it's in your uh, council safety guidelines or your Girl Scout safety guidelines. So you need to know that. Um, and that partially depends on what activity you're doing. But basically, the number of adults to registered background checked adults to girls is going to depend on age level. And if you have multiple age levels, you've got to use the ratio for the youngest age level. And it's just um, a little bit uh, to consider. But kind of like generally speaking, having two adults to like 10 to 12 girls is pretty normal. Um, you can have more adults than that, um, but you can't have less than that. And no matter how small of a group of girls it is, you still need two adults. So even if you have three girls there, you still need two adults because you always have to have two unrelated background checked registered adult members at girl things. So um and then just when you need to add a third varies depending on the age level. So with younger girls, we need to add more adults sooner because uh, those younger girls need more help and it takes more eyes and hands to take care of them. And then as girls get older, you can have larger groups of older girls because they're more independent. But um, it's also going to depend on your specific group because some groups might have the need for more adult 
supervision than others, but the safety guidelines are always going to be a minimum. So anyways, all of that being said, um, <laughs> your leadership team can look like all sorts of different things. So uh, generally speaking, I would say troops are run by a leader and a co-leader and then a bunch of supporting volunteers. The leader and co-leader could look like it's two co-leaders. They're equal levels of leadership. It could look like there's a primary leader and an assistant leader. I think generally speaking, that those are all unofficial, by the way. I think like generally speaking at this point, you're either a troop leader or you're a fan, friends and family volunteer. Um which way you're registered really doesn't matter for much other than what's required as far as your training and also your access to things like bank accounts and whatnot. But but they're both registered and background checked, like whichever kind of role. So it, it almost doesn't matter, but you have to have a minimum of two people registered as leaders. Um, those leader or troop, troop volunteers, um, the leaders are generally speaking i would say they're like considered co-leaders but in the past co-leader meant assistant leader and leader just meant the primary leader um that's not really how it's used anymore now we're just all kind of co-leaders you're a leader and whoever is helping you is your co-leader and um then they would call themselves a leader and they would call you a co-leader you're their co-leader whatever you get the point um i think they're pretty interchangeable and then um some troops have like formal positions so you could have a troop treasurer you could have a troop communications person um you could have a troop historian you, you know whatever you could do that uh you certainly don't have to some multi-level troops have level leaders so like my troop had daisies through cadets so in that case you'd have a daisy leader a brownie leader a junior leader a cadet leader um so in my troop personally we just had co-leaders like um generally speaking most of the years we had three primary leaders and then um when we split up into different levels we would split uh however we felt like it <laughs> and sometimes we would get consistent with i'm always going to meet with this group of girls and sometimes we would switch it up um but then when we got to the point where we had four levels, daisies all the way to cadets, that's when we, in my troop, established level leaders. So I would say at that point, I was the overall troop leader. I ran the like troop from the bird's eye view, but then I was also the cadet level leader. And then we had level leaders for each of the other levels. Um, Don't have to do that, but that worked for us. <laughs> And that gave the girls a primary person, a primary adult. It gave the parents a primary adult. So um, they might be more comfortable asking questions or approaching me or the level leader for their girls level. And but mainly I think it was for the girls comfort. It was most beneficial for the girls comfort because they had an adult who really knew them. Because for me, what happened was up until about 12, I knew like 12 total girls, not 12 years old. I knew all the girls in the troop. I knew them very well. I knew a lot about their personality. I knew about their families. I knew what was going on at home. I knew what was going on at school. I could get to know them really, really well. 
But once our troop got larger than that, and I feel like 12 is like right at 12 or 15 is like right around the time where it started to get tough. Um, but our troop got as big as like 25 ish. Um, I didn't know them all. I didn't know them all. And so that made it so much harder for me to feel like I had that like really personal relationship with those girls. And I didn't want any girls to like slip through the cracks. So by establishing level leaders, um, we each got to know the girls in our specific level really, really well. So I may not have known the daisies very well. I mean, I knew them, duh, but I didn't know them very well. But our daisy leader knew them absolutely super well and they knew her absolutely super well they felt really really close to her and safe with her now during cookie season because i did like every booth i would get to know the girls i didn't know very well during cookie season if they did booths that's when i would really get to know those girls who i was like less connected to um nothing to do but get to know each other really <laughs> during cookie booths so I did ultimately get to know more of them, but at troop meetings, it, it just got hard as the troop got bigger. So that worked well for us. You could also do patrols. Like if you have all one level, instead. well, I mean, you could do this with multi-level too, but if you have all one level instead of multi-level, but you're looking at a troop of that size, you're not going to have level leaders because you only have one level, but you could have patrols like you could use colors or letters or numbers or whatever um and you could kind of segment your girls that way and then there's like patrol leaders so a designated point person for each of those like subgroups you could also do just generally um there's just there's co-leaders and you could have any number of co-leaders honestly you could have two you could have three you could have four <laughs> whatever works as long as you have at least two unrelated and um yeah so that's definitely possible and then as far as your troop support roles like i said you could have kind of formal roles or you could have informal roles generally speaking we did um drop off it was a drop off situation we did not have parents stay our troop leaders were never also parents of girls in the troop so you know it's like if you're new here that is super funky like most troops do not operate that way but it just happened to happen that way uh we did have parent support but and they would come like to field trips they would come to camp outs but um they were not troop leaders our troop leaders were all non-parents of girls in the troop. Either their kids were grown or they had boys or they didn't have any kids yet or they didn't have any they weren't going to have any kids whatever. Um but anyways, so <laughs> um we just started initiating troop helpers to have extra sets of hands from parents who were willing to stay. And that just really started in like 2019. And then, of course, the pandemic happened in 2020. And then if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know, when my troop tried to go back in person in 2022. Gosh, was it 2022? Yeah, I guess so. So it was 2020 to 2021 or the fall of 2021. Oh, my gosh. How much time has passed since my troop broke up? How do I not know this? I feel like. It was the spring of the second year. So 2020 to 2021, in 2021, in the spring, we tried to come back in person at the end of the year and it worked okay. And then coming back in the fall of 2021, um, that's when my troop just kind of disbanded. It didn't work out. And a bunch of people, they were dropping like flies. A bunch of girls decided not to come back. 
and um and I just kind of got to the point where I decided like we did have new girls who were interested in joining but I had moved across town and I am running my own business and I'm busy and I was nervous about COVID still I didn't know how to manage the changing expectations and I just felt like if all my original girls were pretty much not coming back um then I wasn't going to drive across town for like uh, just to basically start a new troop. I would st rather start a new troop closer to where I live. So anyway, I have not done that yet. Um, started a new troop, which is part of the reason why I was having trouble with how long it's been because, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's already been two years. But anyhow, um, that's a side tangent. But right the last year that we were meeting in person, um is when we started rotating in parent help now once we went virtual because of the pandemic so for the end of the 2020 school year and then for 2020 to 20 most of 2021 um we were meeting virtually and we did not have parent helpers on those meetings we just had um three or four troop leaders on those troop meetings and then the girls whatever girls showed but um Anyways, in person, we had parent helpers that just rotated in as an extra set of hands when we could. Um, yeah, so that's what that looked like for us. But you could have formal roles. You could have a formal sign-up schedule for rotating parents in. It can really look like all kinds of different things, and you can really set that up. So real quick before I wrap up, Nicole, who asked another question who I had answered on here, she also asked a similar question about some parents want to be super involved and they're like helicopter parents and some parents don't want to be involved at all and they just want to drop off and do the bare minimum. And, and she was asking, how do we find the middle ground? So I want to say that you can't <laughs> say that's hard. And I'm sorry, Nicole, I feel like both your questions, I'm like, this is not a good, I don't have a good answer. But you can't because there are some parents who are bare minimum involved because that's all they can do. And that's all that's realistic, either because they have a lot of circumstances going on that you may not know about mentally, physically, emotionally, whatever, um, that may prevent them from being able to be involved. You're not entitled to that information. You don't get to know that information. You just need to assume that they're going to be as involved as they can. And if they are not there, then they can't. It could be because they're balancing a bunch of other kids at home. It could be because they're working multiple jobs. It could be because they're going through something catastrophic with their health, either, again, physical health, mental health. It could be something, um, maybe they're going through a massive divorce. Maybe they are caretaking for an ill parent or family member. I mean, there's any number of things, like there's any number of things. Also, um, a money situation of like, um, they, they could just be up against any number of struggles. So, um, all of that to say, the bare minimum is all that they're required to do, and you can't require any more of from them. Um, you can certainly ask for more from them, um, invite them to be more involved, but you can't require it. That is definitely making your troop inaccessible to girls who come from families who 
don't have a caregiver who's available to be actively involved in the troop, if you make that a requirement, then that also alienates the girl from being able to be part of the troop. So, and I'm not, I'm not trying to like come for you. I'm just trying to say anybody listening, this is really, really important for accessibility that um, there are lots, honestly, some of the girls who need Girl Scouts the most don't have a caregiver who's available. Um, they may not have multiple caregivers in the picture. They may just have a, a single caregiver. They, um, they may come from all kinds of different circumstances. And Girl Scouts is a safe place for them to get emotional and mental care in addition to um, skill building and leadership development and all of that. And um, it's giving them opportunities to participate in things that maybe they wouldn't have <laughs> based on their family situation. So unfortunately, you can't <laughs> make bare minimum parents do more. You can ask them to do more, but you can't make them do more. For parents who helicopter and overparent, <laughs> one great solution I think would be because you said in here um I can't lose their help but I need them to take a step back so I think there's a couple of things here that you could do one is that you could set up a rotation schedule however many pairs of hands you need um you get like two parents or whatever agree to stay to each meeting but nobody needs to stay for all the meetings we want to rotate in so that nobody has to attend all of them but somebody's attending all of them, right? Um, <clears throat> so encourage that rotation. Encourage a maximum of like once a month or something like that to try to encourage them to not come to all of them. Another thing would be to have, I recommended in a different episode to do this with girls, these guiding reflection questions. You can do it with adults too. Ask them about... Um, Ask them to reflect in a parent meeting or something like that or caregiver meeting. Um, what is the impact of your presence? What would the impact be if you were less present? <laughs> um, do you think that, you know, there's a benefit for girls whose parents are not present 100% of the time? What do you think the obstacles are for girls whose parents are not present or are present or all of the above, right? Like get them to reflect on it, <laughs> um, you know, and, and you specifically mentioned, Nicole, they overparent instead of uh, letting you apply our troop rules and consequences, which the girls agreed upon. So uh, maybe ask them, do you think these this these rules and consequences that these girls came up with what do you think of them do we agree with them how could we implement them <laughs> what should we do if there's another volunteer or helper with the best of intentions who is going against these in the spirit of trying to take care of girls um trying to maintain order and safety but they are not in alignment with the rules that the girls came up with. Like, what do we think? How are we going to balance that? And kind of lead them. Again, I, I said this in another episode about girls, but like lead a horse to water. See if they can kind of come to that on their own. But at the end of the day, if there's a parent who really needs to be with their girl or wants to be with their girl at all the time at all times and is not comfortable leaving her 
without them staying you that's their right as a parent and you can't stop them from doing that um you can mention to them that there's such a thing as too many adults for the sake of ratio that um you know girl scouts recommends this many adults and we already have this many adults for this meeting or for this event and do they mind letting some of the other parents take up those roles this time who have already expressed that they're interested since this parent has been so involved like could do you mind stepping back so that other parents who haven't had a chance could step forward a little um you can try that but at the end of the day if they're not comfortable dropping their girl off i mean then for whatever reason then that's the right so um i mean yeah unfortunately to a certain extent there's things you can do and hopefully these tips kind of help a little but yeah just do the best you can okay well I feel like I thought that this was going to be a lot longer than it was. I thought that I was talking about that um, kind of troop leadership situation for a lot longer, but hopefully this was helpful. And if you want to ask a question, I'm taking questions um, in the Facebook group, facebook.com slash Girl Scout Podcast, or you can email me, girlscoutpodcast at gmail.com. I'm getting to as many as I can. I am cherry picking based on just like what I feel like answering, what feels easy in that moment. Um, and, uh, but I, I'm trying to get to all of them. Really. I promise I'm not ignoring anyone or like blowing anyone's question off. I'm going to try to get to all of them eventually. And uh, yeah, anyways, hope this was helpful. Talk to you soon.